Hello and welcome to the Leaders in Supply Chain and Logistics podcast. I am your host, Radha Palamariu, Global Logistics and Supply Chain Practice Head for Morgan Phillips Executive Search. Specializing in board level and executive recruitment across the region, my job is also to connect you with global experts, thought leaders and executives in all things supply chain. This is episode 16 and I'm happy to have with us today uh, Marco Civardi. Marco is currently Area Managing Director for Damco Vietnam, Cambodia, Myanmar and Laos. He's a hands-on leader and has built strong and stable businesses in, uh, in the cluster, uh, basically in Vietnam, in, in Cambodia, Myanmar and Laos, all of which are key markets for the Damco global business. Uh, just to give our listeners a little bit of a reference point, Damco is one of the world's leading third-party logistics providers specializing in delivering customized freight forwarding and supply chain solutions with more than 300 offices in 100 countries and employing 11,000 people, um, as well as a net turnover of 3.2 billion US dollars. Uh, Damco, as you may also know, is part of the bigger umbrella company, Maersk, which is the largest shipping line in the world. Uh, Marco's previous role was also regional head of the fashion vertical for Asia Pacific based in Tokyo for Panalpina and in this role he led a virtual team of fashion sales experts across many countries including Korea, Japan, Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand, India and Australia. Prior to that he was the head of marketing and sales for Panalpina Japan and in addition to Japan he lived and worked in Italy, Hong Kong and Australia. Marco is Italian, speaks several languages, including Japanese, and he received an MBA from the Macquarie Graduate School of Management in Sydney. Additionally, he received a certificate in supply chain management from the Cranfield School of Management in UK. Marco, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. Um, so let's let's deep dive a little bit in terms of the in terms of the the cluster and in terms of the countries that you are uh, managing for for Danco. So maybe tell us a little bit about each market specifically and, and some elements of doing business in each country. Sure. I think we can start from, uh, from Vietnam. I think in Vietnam, uh, we are very much seeing strong growth uh, over, the past, uh, over the past years. Uh, growth driven mainly by export, of course, also foreign direct investment. And the interesting part is that we see also the fact that the country used to be uh, very much oriented into garments and, and textile footwear. And now also with a lot of emphasis on technology, a lot of companies like uh, Samsung are investing and also many Japanese companies are investing too, like Panasonic and so forth, which is, which is great because the country is also diversifying uh, the, the, uh, the export base, so to speak. Um, in Cambodia, uh, we see also strong growth there, but less dynamism in comparison to Vietnam in terms of free trade agreements. I think Vietnam has been quite active uh, recently, Cambodia is slightly less, and is very much depending on uh, garments export as a source of growth. One area we're looking into uh, Cambodia is a very strong wage growth over the last few years. So we are sometimes pondering when is the tipping point and how the country can further diversify its economic growth uh, going forward. Myanmar, very interesting uh, part of the cluster also, you can name it this cluster as a growth tiger, if you will. Uh, Myanmar also on a different stage of economic development, just recently opened up, but very interesting prospect. Uh, for example, we know that the uh, number of affluent consumers in Myanmar plan to double by 2020 to around 10 million people out of a population of uh, 50 million. And uh, more interesting also in Vietnam, uh, the so-called affluent consumer plan to become around 33 million by 2020, which is around a third of the population of, wow. of 90 million. So I think very bright, uh, very bright future ahead and probably the right point in time uh, to be in this cluster. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, an uh, impressive, uh, impressive growth uh, potential. Um, 
And what would you say, uh, typical question? And I think it's a it kind of cuts to the to the core of the of the um, situation. What would you say some of the challenges and the opportunities uh, in the in the markets that you lead? Um, and maybe if you can if you can share with us some stories of some uh, unexpected or, or pleasant or unpleasant surprises you, ha- you had while doing business in these markets. Well, I think every day uh, emerging market give you pleasant and unpleasant as a very dynamic part of the world. So, uh, in general, of course, uh, many, many more opportunities uh, than, than challenges. I would say uh, one of the biggest opportunities to really uh, act and be as the enabler of our customer uh, business strategy. So, there's a lot of clients we serve that expect a very ambitious mid-term growth plan. So we need to plan capacity ahead. We need to, of course, streamline our processes ahead and be there for the long haul, uh, be really the right hand of our clients uh, in, the, in the growth path uh, over the next few years. And that's really, really an interesting mission uh, to allocate resources and make sure that their success, of course, is our success and we, uh, grow, uh, we, 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 we jointly grow together. Um, I would also add on uh, one of the biggest opportunities as well is the opportunity to upskill the local workforce. Uh, we are spending a lot in training, we're investing quite a lot on personalized training and also via very rigorous talent management process. But the capability to impact on the level of expertise uh, on the local workforce is, is great. And we are investing quite heavily on this and uh, we are seeing the results on uh, a number of progress we are doing on filling internal position, also later on sending talents uh, overseas. Mm. Um, I would also add the diversity. I think uh, it's a very diverse uh, cluster from a culture and business point of view, or also each country at a different economic stage of development. So we can have, uh, of course, cross-cultural learning opportunities for our talent uh, in different countries, because even though two countries are close together, the mentality and the business setting is quite different. And so leveraging on this diversity of business culture can be for us a very good uh, um, source of motivation and engagement uh, for our people in the cluster. Um, challenges, I think obviously the plate is full. Uh, being an emerging market, I would say uh, the classic of course is infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, in general, you see that the infrastructure, ports, roads, airports and so forth is not yet picking up uh, to maintain the pace of the business growth. So you still have, for example, the Ho Chi Minh Airport, which is operating, but operating at above the capacity level. So an urgent investment is needed to catch up with the level of, uh, of business growth. So I think that obviously remains there uh, as, a, as a challenge. And we believe that uh, step by step, there's, there's a lot of projects that make us be confident for the medium term that the infrastructure issue will be, will be much less of an issue and more as a, uh, as a, as a success story. Yes. Um, I would also add that the fact uh, on, on talent, uh, the fact that it's uh, not easy uh, to find qualified talents. Uh, in general, in emerging market, we have company with uh, growing hiring needs and not always the, the right expertise is available uh, locally. Uh, so again, there's a lot of focus on how to overcome this uh, challenge and everybody has a different, uh, different approach. I would also add on uh, a relatively low uh, labor mobility. Uh, Sometimes we have uh, talent locally that could fit uh, for certain jobs overseas, but strong family bonds don't necessarily allow them to uh, make a move overseas. So those are the the couple of issues that we are looking into as our key key, uh, challenges at the moment. And, and I mean, just to add to, to the to the to the point that um, 
actually, it's it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Ho Chi Minh as a, as an example in terms of uh, needing a little bit more uh, upscaling for for the airport. Because I would have, I would imagine that from the cluster, Vietnam is probably the more advanced in infrastructure compared to Cambodia, Laos, and and Myanmar uh, as a whole. Let's say. Indeed, uh, and and probably I would say Vietnam is also one of the country which, of course, uh, uh, belong to the Greater Mekong subregion, who is quite active on each single project that at the moment is ongoing to uh, improve the connectivity within the cluster. So there are a number of examples where if you look into, for example, the north-south, uh, the north-south uh, corridor, so uh, the improvement that you can see from the uh, South China uh, area to uh, Hanoi Haiphong, uh, travel time has been reduced, and of course Vietnam uh, is a key player in that particular project. Then you have another corridor uh, you can name as the east-west. Uh, so you can connect the Da Nang in central Vietnam via Laos and Thailand up to uh, Myanmar. And also there is the south corridor, the Ho Chi Minh Pompen Expressway. So there's a whole initiative where there's a great focus to improve the connectivity. And, and Vietnam is always there. So I think yes. uh, it's very much uh, active. Uh, and also uh, at the moment, uh, yes, you can say. Yes. Uh, more advanced. Got it. And because I know that I was reading also in terms of, um, and, and a lot of there's a lot of talk and uh, it's massive investment from China on the One Belt, One Road initiative. But I think in terms of the countries that they're massively investing, Laos is one of them, right? Where they, they put in a lot of money in terms of building the highway and uh, maybe there's the corridor that you mentioned. Indeed, uh, I would say at the moment they invest the key one uh, for the for the old cluster is mainly, of course, uh, Korean uh, for manufacturing, Japanese for manufacturing. Uh, and also Japanese, they help in the infrastructure development. Also China, they play a big role also in Cambodia. So at the moment, we still have the majority of Asian-related uh, uh, investment. But then, you know, as, as time goes by, the economy will open up even further and maybe more investment from uh, US and Europe is coming in. We have a lot of companies sourcing already in this part of the uh, of the world from US and Europe. But in terms of infrastructure, of course, the, the Asian investors are, are the key so far. Yes. Oh, that's 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 that's, that's, um, that's very good, and it kind of touches upon the the question that I wanted to ask in terms of the, the these mega projects that uh, that are are being built and developed to connect even further the the countries and improve the the connectivity, the, the duration, the um, uh, transportation, obviously um, uh, links. Um, and I think it's important that you know when we talk about uh, transportation links, uh, uh, is often become an economic link. Uh, because yes. uh, the Greater Mekong sub-region touch on uh, improving tourism, touch on improving uh, public health. And of course, the key one is on improving transport connectivity. So you cannot think of, of sort of hardware and software. So the hardware is uh, the quality and the safetyness uh, of the roads. And the software need to be uh, the time to go through border and the cost. So they both need to improve in parallel. And, and I think uh, when you look into the, the Greater Mekong subregion, the number of projects they have now on the horizon, which is like more than, uh, more than 200, uh, I think you can be quite confident that uh, something will happen. Uh, yes. The question, of course, is, is this happening at the pace we want? But that's obviously a different story. But the dynamism and the focus, uh, we think, is there. Yes, yes. I mean, and it, uh, I mean, as you said, it's definitely happening. Probably it could always happen faster, but nevertheless, I mean, it's uh, the pace is uh, is quite incredible. Also, it, it 
brings a lot of opportunities in terms of project logistics, doesn't it? And in terms of uh, absolutely, uh, uh, yeah, capitalizing on all this kind of uh, construction, uh, building um, uh, projects, that, uh, infrastructure projects, uh, large industrial absolutely. projects. Absolutely, it goes together. It goes together. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit about about uh, technology. Uh, I mean, I know that you have uh, you have my Damco, it's a system that you use to keep track of orders from clients. Um, tell us a little bit about it. How does it improve your operations? How does it improve your client service? Uh, Thanks for asking this one. Uh, obviously, MyDamco is crucial for us. It is uh, fundamentally an integrated online application, which includes a shipper booking uh, portal and a different functionality from, uh, functionality from reporting to documentation management, as well as communication exception and, and track and trace functionalities. Uh, recently, has been ranked by uh, Gartner as one of the key uh, applications for reporting capabilities. Uh, and essentially, what we want to achieve is that we want to... Uh, basically allow our customer to spend less time in building reports and more time to analyze their business by accessing data from a single uh, source of truth, so to speak, having more than 900 fields uh, where to uh, customize the report. And obviously, from our customer, it facilitates their internal alignment by having access to data from a single a single source. So I think yes. for us, it's key, obviously, to constantly think of simplifying, simplify, and mm -hmm. simplify more and more the customer experience. Yes, yes, got it. Um, how about uh, how about uh, continuous improvement? Because I know that it's an important concept for for Damco for for your operations and also in terms of the the work that you've been doing in the cluster. Maybe if you have some success case studies around it and, and specifically for. Indeed, I think uh, the so-called uh, continuous improvement or CI uh, so far is absolutely crucial. Uh, I would say um, it is part of our mindset. It's also part of uh, the way we work and how we set our ambitions. So we try to have a CI or continuous improvement mentality uh, embedded really in, in the organization. We always try to uh, raise the bar higher and obviously improve our own performance. So it has a bigger value uh, than uh, the functional scope per se. Um, when you look into CI, uh, I think mainly the mission is, of course, to simplify streamline processes, at the same time guarantee a high-quality service being cost-effective. Uh, you can also uh, simplify more by saying working smarter instead of harder. There's a number of examples that we have that our CI teams uh, in uh, global office or region or areas or countries are really adding a lot of value uh, to us. Uh, for example, um, one of the projects we have is to uh, share resources during peak seasons. Uh, different uh, customers are at different uh, seasonalities, so we want to make sure that uh, we limit, obviously, the uh, overtime, and then we train our staff in different teams mm -hmm. to help the other team when the peak season uh, occurs mm -hmm. in order to have the workload uh, more evenly spread. So that's just one of the initiatives uh, that our CI team is constantly looking at uh, across uh, each different country. Um, one important aspect, for example, is productivity. We try to look at productivity from a multidimensional approach, not only productivity improvement per se, but also what is the link to, uh, of course, the overtime, what is linked to attrition, because all are elements that, that impact uh, on our cost of service. So we try to really have a holistic view on, on how we can have a sustainable business and CI teams are helping a lot uh, into, into that. Mm -hmm. um, nothing can be done, obviously, without uh, getting feedback. So for us, it's key to have constant feedback uh, in terms of voice of staff by regular survey and also voice of customers. So those are embedded on an ongoing basis uh, yes. in, the way, in the way we do things, uh, so to speak. 
we also have another element uh, called LMA, uh, Lean Maturity Assessment. So on a regular basis, we want to make sure that our staff is aware of the lean methodology we have. Uh, so to go away from uh, firefighting and go more into uh, root cause analysis uh, when problem uh, occurs. And this is also very important uh, and is done uh, on, on, on a systematic uh, basis throughout the year. Yes. Obviously, the question is now, uh, how do you know uh, uh, what good look like? Uh, and one of the key aspects for us is to keep track of our net promoter score, which obviously is a combination of effort between sales, uh, customer service, and operation. The more the net promoter score is increasing, the more there is a correlation that we are making sure that the CI team is allowing a, a smooth uh, customer experience. Yes, yes. Um, and, and this is this is a question we I mean it kind of prompted in my mind uh, right now because also I know I know that you're highly successful I think uh, I think the cluster is one of the most successful uh, in Damco worldwide as well as uh, you know you, you've obviously managed to um, fight very successfully with all the big boys and, and win in the in the specific cluster in, in, in Vietnam uh, Cambodia. Laos uh, and, and Myanmar. So I'm just curious if you were to uh, share with us a couple of the what made it so successful. You know what what's what's some of the let's say secrets of success in the cluster. Well, I think uh, we had a lot of uh, support from our customers. Uh, I must say, uh, Damco is a, is a very strong. Uh, maturity, uh, we say, in this cluster. And our customer supported us uh, very much uh, throughout the year. Uh, they really put us at the center of the growth strategy, and this uh, obviously helped a lot. And this has happened because of the work the team have done over the past number of years uh, in order to, to earn that trust, to earn their support, that we start to work together for one particular product or project, and then later on, together again, we expand and we further growth. Uh, at the same time, I would say the economy picked up uh, quite uh, well over the past uh, few years. So I would say there's a combination of uh, strong trust from existing customer, uh, good uh, economic momentum, and I would say also the, um, the reward from the effort on uh, people engagement and talent management that I think we intensified more. Uh, in the last uh, the last few weeks, yes. Um, so I wouldn't give you an answer straight. I would give you uh, uh, some it's a combination. It's a combination of, mm -hmm. of, of external information on, on the economy, uh, which benefit everybody. Uh, obviously, uh, our our customer trust and, and the work we have done internally to build our teams and, and, and make make good decisions on talent management uh, yes. in the past few years. Yes, yes, got it. And, and talking about talent and talking about uh, about people, because indeed finding talent in emerging markets is a very different thing to finding talent in uh, in mature markets like Singapore, or Europe, or, or US. Um, what's some of the and you, you've touched a little bit about uh, upon it, but what's some of the challenges and opportunities you find around this? Absolutely, a key question uh, for us. I would say uh, before looking into finding talent, uh, equally important is to retain talent uh, because it's a very hot uh, job market. People sometimes they uh, decide to uh, go overseas to study or they decide to uh, work for a family business, so just as a normal evolution of the economy, so to speak. And obviously, you can't necessarily stop that. So retention is as important as uh, as attraction. Uh, I would say. Um, for us, uh, let's say we like to, to see ourselves uh, as, a, as a talent factory uh, using this uh, acronym in the sense of try to fill uh, at least 80% of the position internally. 
uh, with rigorous uh, training programs and also with tailor-made training programs that we have for, for basically all our key staff across the cluster. So one answer to the finding talent in the emerging market is that we want to create talent from within. And that's something absolutely uh, key that we focus on. And I think 80% of a position filled internally is a good ambition level because you need to have some space uh, for some fresh blood from outside because you need obviously to have an element of diversification in your team as well in terms of uh, perspective. But that's what we're working on. And I think the, the progress has been uh, quite positive uh, over the last few years. So uh, we, we take uh, the, the, the talent mission by trying to create uh, from within. And, and, I, so, no, and I would say that create from within is not only for the benefit of the cluster, but what we have seen recently is that we have been able to send some of our talent also overseas. Yes. And that actually allows us to win on two fronts. On the one hand, we create basically a medium-term succession plan when this strong talent will come back eventually to our cluster after some important experience in the Europe or the US or the Middle East. Um, and in the short term, we create that necessary genuine engagement uh, so that our people know that once you have integrity, once you uh, display uh, our values in, in your leadership, once you have an impeccable uh, track record of results, the opportunity may come. And, and we try to leave this by, by example of, of people who are actually making it, uh, coming from Cambodia or from Vietnam, and we hope soon also uh, from, uh, from Myanmar. Yes. Okay, super. And, I mean, and, and, and just to, to, to dig a little bit deeper, do you typically, when you take these people, and I assume it's, it's, a, it's a combination of methods, but would you take them more or high percentage straight from university or would you take them with some background and experience or it's a little bit of both? Or? Well, I think to work in Dump overseas, you have to have an experience yes, in, in, mm-hmm. in the company for sure. Uh, so, so we actually tend to send uh, successful people with a good track record internally that can already, uh, how can I say, uh, hit the ground running and add value to the organization that is making uh, this particular investment on them. Uh, building on the uh, external engagement of the university, this is something we are doing uh, in, the, in the cluster and it's very important because on the one hand, we want to make sure that uh, logistics is an exciting industry. Uh, and These masters need to go through to a lot of candidates uh, on universities across uh, the cluster. Um, logistics still does have a relatively good growth prospect in the cluster with all the uh, business momentum that we are talking about. So it should be considered as one of the, one of the peak, hopefully. And I think another role to do uh, from a MERSC standpoint is to make sure that we are a diversified group we can offer particular career opportunity that not every other player can offer with a different business unit, different uh, scope in the supply chain. So hopefully we can be more and more uh, appealing yes. uh, to, the, to the new batch of candidates yes. uh, coming online. Yes. Um, and for sure, I think Mersk as, as a brand and as a company and including, of course, Demco has a very strong reputation and, and over time. Thank you. Yeah. You've, uh, you've built that... Um, uh, how do you call that? That uh, employer brand, uh, to say that. Um, and how about how about I mean, technologies? We need to go to kind of circle back into that because uh, this is uh, changing all industries, and of course, it's also changing logistics. It's changing supply chains, um, and it's changing it at a faster pace than ever before. So I guess the question is, and I, uh, we do repeat this question to all our guests: uh, What are some of the skills that uh, that you think logistics professionals need to have to stay relevant on the long term? 
key question. A key question that we're asking ourselves, obviously, uh, already. Um, I think before we talk about the individuals, I would like to spend a word on, on companies. Uh, I think from the company point of view, from the employer side, I think we really need to understand that we have to create a culture of uh, lifelong journey with a continuous learning opportunity for the staff. And this is easier said than done. And we know this is not happening uh, in every company. So that's absolutely key. And, and we also believe that the lack uh, or the potential lack of adequate training can be clearly a source of attrition for the millennials who value very much uh, being, of course, trained and being professionally equipped for the future challenges. So I would like also to put a little bit of constructive pressure on the company. Are we doing enough? Uh, in terms of uh, lifelong journey culture that we need to build uh, for, for the future. That's obviously a question mark. Um, in terms of skills, uh, I would say that uh, two, two train of thoughts come into mind. One is if you build on the, on the uh, technology wave that we have now, uh, clearly roles such as IT programming or data scientists will be a role in high demand as basically this position uh, embed the capability to deal with complex information and to interpret data. So that's obviously one angle uh, to skills development. For the other side, I would say that uh, everything which is today not replaceable by a machine. So I would place a lot of focus on um, so-called cognitive skills, uh, critical thinking, and also a mixture between, uh, I would say, social and emotional skills, such as uh, communication, uh, ability to persuade, and also ability to create uh, empathy as well. So those are the elements that uh, I, would, uh, I would suggest uh, to stay relevant. Uh, obviously, we cannot forget creativity. And one of the ways to uh, boost creativity is, in my opinion, to live abroad. So if you're having an experience overseas, that by itself uh, should help you uh, to get different perspectives what you see on your, on your hometown. Uh, but those are the thoughts that, that come to mind on, on, on what could be relevant uh, long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and how? I mean, in terms of uh, obviously you're you're in a leadership position, you uh, manage large uh, large team. Uh, what are some of the leadership principles that you follow in your day to day work? There's a few, uh, to be honest, uh, Radu. Um, I will start from from uh, the group. Uh, I think I. I I learned from Maersk uh, the value of constant care, uh, which I think is, uh, is a great one. Uh, to me, one of the guiding light that fundamentally means uh, leading today, uh, taking care of today while preparing for tomorrow. Uh, and fundamentally also underline that uh, what you achieve, uh, I mean, how you achieve is as important as what you achieve. I think it's, uh, it's very, very crucial for us uh, to always keep an eye on, on the medium term, always keep an eye on the future and asking ourselves if we are making a company stronger tomorrow, as well as obviously try to uh, over-deliver on the target that you, have, uh, that you have today. So that's, I think, uh, a very important one. Uh, I, I really learned uh, very much recently. Um, in our cluster, we had a, a, a motto called Together We Win. Uh, Together We Win basically want to emphasize the word together. That means teamwork. Uh, we want to make sure that different teams know what's expected from each other and then we give candid feedback to each other. Again, easier said than done, but we're in the process of getting much, much better. So I think teamwork uh, and working across uh, function is absolutely key if you want to achieve uh, bigger results. I'll just stop you for a moment on, on this one because um, no, obviously we've all, we've 
together been in Asia for a long time and just historically and also culturally uh, sometimes it's tough for a certain I mean there's, there's the the Asian culture is more a little bit more cons- concerned when it comes to giving feedback right so you, you always yeah. need to to do a reshape of the organizational culture yeah. to encourage it even more yeah. maybe you would need to do it in, in, uh, in, in another place like Europe where it's a bit more embedded so how maybe maybe if you can just dwell a little bit because I, I assume that you had to yeah. I mean that reinforcement had to be done consciously right um, yeah. maybe tell us a little bit yeah we do it we do it on a, on a, on a regular basis I think we, we basically allow uh, teams uh, to share feedback via, via HR and then the feedback comes in uh, in an anonymous uh, way and then we process the feedback diligently then we set a timeline so for example the feedback sharing that we have today will be replicated uh, in four to five months from now so that we keep a sort of a calendar, so to speak, because uh, issues and type of feedback change over time. Yes. And so we basically have HR as our, as our guiding uh, uh, leader in this particular task to ensure people can speak their mind and remain anonymous. But then we, uh, I would say, literally put the fish on the table mm-hmm. uh, between each other and we talk. Um, mm-hmm. We analyze the issue and we address. Mm-hmm. And this is also goes very much into my own uh, feedback as well from my own managers on uh, fostering that culture of feedback uh, quite a lot, and this is of course cascading down through uh, different uh, different teams. Yes, I'm not sure if it's the best way to do it, but that's uh, something which is working for us. Yes. and uh, it's it's a, it's a trial and error, right? I mean, you you never really start and you get it right the first place because of the reason you mentioned. And there are some culture which they tend to be more open, uh, some culture tend to be more reserved, and uh, you know, step by step, we can find. Uh, Find our way through. Yes, yes. I mean, and, and as, as you said, also it, just as with the feedback, because as you go along, you, you notice several or other things that pop up, right? It's the yeah. same. And I imagine that even the cultures from from Myanmar to Cambodia to Laos to Vietnam would be different, and, and even this would have some localized um, angles to it. They would. Uh, if, I can, if I can elaborate uh, also on the principle, uh, uh, beside the fact that I consider leadership fundamentally as a service. And, and obviously we are here to try to serve at least what I tell myself the, the broader community around me such as uh, giving to our staff the necessary care the solution to our customers return to the shareholders and hopefully that the community become better uh, thanks to our presence so that's one of the angles always keep into our mind as a sort of multi-dimensional approach on what leadership is all about it's about giving a service and try to make sure that the context around you benefit uh, recently, I developed something uh, uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the line of uh, self-renewal. So I try every year to zoom in uh, on, on, a new, on a new skill and uh, try to develop it quite, uh, quite fully. So this year is a year of coaching, and I try to learn, uh, uh, obviously, uh, how to become uh, more effective and also how to have sufficient uh, airtime, so to speak, with what we identify as the critical, uh, I would say, 6 to 7% of the organization in, uh, in the cluster uh, that allow me to have a granular knowledge of what's going on in the company at different level and allow them to have an unfiltered way uh, by, by one-on-one session to voice out uh, what can be better, uh, what's, what's not clear, uh, what, what are we good at, we should do more. And um, so I try every year to somehow renew Yes. The portfolio of leadership yes. skill, if you, if you, if you will. Yes, I think that's that's also one of the key habits of Stephen Covey, if I'm not wrong. I mean, he wrote the seven habits of highly effective people, and I think the eighth habit is the okay. Or anyways, is part of the is part of the the book. So absolutely. Um, 
in, in your career, uh, you've made some interesting switches, right? Because you, you were part of sales, marketing, highly focused on, on that. And then you moved to this full profit and loss uh, role for, uh, for Damco in, in the cluster. Tell us a little bit, uh, how did you manage to do that? Because a lot of people in the industry are trying, are, are, are dreaming or are hoping to do this one day. And also, what were some of your uh, key learnings? Because I also imagine when you did that shift, that shift uh, you had to pick up quite a few things. Indeed. Um, what I would say, uh, the key thoughts coming to mind is, is a combination of curiosity and, and determination. I think you, you really need to have the right level of curiosity to, to go out of your comfort zone and, 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 and basically... Uh, test yourself into new water and determination so the willingness to I think persevere uh, because particularly the beginning is not is not uh, that easy I would say for me in particular I was uh, in, a, in a new group a new role uh, in a new market at the same time so probably in, in retrospect I would say uh, it's probably a, an applied uh, learning agility case uh, so, to, so to say so extremely enriching um, well, I think in terms of learning, what I can share is, is a few things. I mean, first of all, uh, I would suggest people to have a few mentors. It's very important to have people outside the organization that you can bounce off some ideas uh, when you are confronted to uh, new issues uh, that we have not uh, dealt with before. Um, and I found it extremely valuable, uh, not only for problem solving, but also to, to shape your thinking in a different way, to have a different perspective. Um, uh, particularly if mentors are also outside, uh, I think, uh, our industries is even even better. Um, what helped me in particular is that I had a, in in my mind a business plan before I started. So beside the hundred days done, I had a little bit of a medium term idea of of where uh, this cluster could go. Um, that helped me quite a lot because even though you go through the initial uh, allow me to say uh, chaos uh, disruption can come in. Um, no matter what, you go home at night and uh, you're following your plan. Uh, if you cannot do something this week, uh, then you postpone next week. But the plan is consistent. That for me has been a very, very good uh, help. Um, I would say the key learnings over time, obviously, is the fact that once you, once you switch from a functional role to, to, to a leadership uh, PNL role, uh, the impact you have on the result as an individual contributor gets less and less. So uh, the learning really is try to manage the context as well as you can and try to uh, excel into delegate and empower as much as possible. So I really believe on the fact that you are the reflected glory of your team. And this, this thinking doesn't come overnight. Uh, it's, 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 it's a trial and error. Uh, you start to get involved in so many projects, and then step by step, you start to delegate better. And then you start to make sure that the context is supporting uh, everyone around you to perform at their best. So I think this is one of the key uh, learning that, that came through to a number of trial and error over the past, uh, yeah. over the past few years. Yes. Mm. Um, Final, final question. If you could give some advice to a 23-year-old graduating university and wanting to achieve a great career in logistics, maybe, you know, becoming a cluster head one day, what would that be? Well, uh, I wish uh, I would have received some, some advice when I started. Um, I think what comes to mind is uh, uh, try to pick a company, first of all, that has uh, a compelling purpose, and, and value that you share. 
I think ultimately these two elements are what drive motivation and engagement and loyalty over time. So, for example, you look into you look into the MERS group. So, why we come to work? Why we are here? We want to facilitate global trade. Uh, we want to uh, connect and simplify uh, our customer supply chain. To me, this is an extremely compelling purpose. Uh, facilitating global trade help uh, prosperity, help growth. So we are contributing to the best we can to the greater good, uh, which, which I think is great. Uh, when you look at our values, we put people at the center stage of everything we do. And, and I think it is very important because we are still obviously uh, very much a people industry and people are the one that make it happen. Uh, so the first uh, advice I would give to the 20 years old the guy is probably to have a coffee with Musk uh, before uh, moving uh, to the next step. But I think uh, it's important, the compelling purpose and value, uh, as, as in my opinion, key criteria to uh, screen uh, for which employer you, you really want to, to raise your hand. Um, at an individual level, uh, the thoughts coming to mind is, I think, uh, first of all, on, on versatility. I think it's very important to focus on tasks, learning different tasks, learning different experiences. Don't look into the job title, try to have a portfolio of experiences as rich, as diverse as you can possibly have. Um, I would also say adaptability, uh, try to work in different markets, of course, if possible, try to work abroad, get new perspective, uh, that's absolutely key. And I would also add uh, communication, uh, learning different languages. So to me, if a 23 years old today has a versatility, adaptability and communication uh, together with the right uh, company, uh, I think uh, the person could be uh, on a very good track. Yeah, super. No, I mean, very good, um, very good summary. Um, and, uh, and I hear that it's, uh, it's a reoccurring uh, theme with you. And I, I also strongly believe it myself, the fact that, uh, you know, the more exposure you have to different, uh, different experiences, different countries, different languages, you know, the more it kind of forces you to, to be adaptable and to be flexible. And yeah, it's basically forcing you to unlearn what you learned in the past and relearn completely from scratch and try to bring the good of your previous experience and try to be obviously very humble and try to adapt yourself to the new reality. So I would, I would strongly recommend this path. Yeah, super. Well, Marco, thank you very much for joining us today and thank you for all the good sharing. Thank you, Radu. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to follow us on radopalamario.com slash podcast for all the show notes, links, and extra tips covered in the interview. Make sure also to subscribe to our emailing list to get the news in the nick of time. If you're listening through a streaming platform like iTunes or Stitcher and you like what we do, please kindly review and give us five stars so we can keep the energy flowing and get more people to find out about our podcast. I'm most active on LinkedIn, so do feel free to follow me to stay tuned for our latest uh, articles as well as future guests for the podcast. And if you have any suggestions or any other idea, please feel free to write to me. I respond to all. And also, please make sure not to miss our next episode where we will be having a few other C-level and top leaders in supply chain joining us. Stay tuned.